We have a book review from Agnes Sanford, The Healing Light, first edition, 1947. And she has a, a long line of ministers in her family. I mean, from way back, they can... So the prayers have been pushed forward. So this is her introduction on her book. The scientific attitude is the attitude of perfect open-mindedness writes Agnes Sanford. It consists in an unshakable faith in the laws of nature combined with perfect humility towards those laws and a patient determination to learn them at whatever cost. Through this humility, scientists have learned how to conform to the laws of nature and by so doing have achieved results. Through the same meekness, those who seek God can produce results by learning to conform to His laws of faith and love. The first step in seeking to produce results by any power is to contact that power. The second step is to turn that power on. The third step is to believe that this power is coming into us and to accept it by faith. No matter how much we ask for something, it becomes ours only as we accept it and give thanks for it. These three steps are made so clear in this book that a child can understand them. But something besides understanding is required if one desires real healing, and that something besides is what this book proceeds to give. That something besides which Agnes Sanford possesses more than anyone I have met is hard to catch and put into words. It is something as evanescent and infinite indefinable as the air we breathe. For want of a better word, I should call it the climate necessary for healing. In northern Siberia, there's a Russian report used for whaling vessels in the summer season. But in winter, with the temperatures ranging from 50 to 90 degrees below zero, no vessel has ever been known <clears throat> to enter. <clears throat> the port is there the wares are there, and all the avenues for shipping to come and go are there, but no vessel ever comes. It would be silly to ask why, because everyone knows why they don't come in. It's because it's the wrong kind of climate. Anyone who steps into the presence of Agnes steps into the right kind of climate for healing. When I looked over the manuscript of this book, I had only a secondary interest in seeing whether she had the technique of healing, because I knew she had that. I knew that thousands of people who have never healed anyone in their lives also had the technique, but primary interest was in seeing whatever this book prepare for a world that is spiritually temperament is so far below zero, could furnish a climate that would make healing a living reality. To my great joy, I found that this is exactly what it does do. I therefore put it on my must list for all who wish to go all out in their seeking for the healing power of God. Agnes Sanford was born in China as the daughter of a Presbyterian missionary. She has lived for years in New Jersey as the wife of an Episcopalian rector, and she has studied and tried every form of healing that has ever been known. Never have I met one who combined the metaphysical and the sacramental approach as she does, I have never met anyone more Christ-centered, nor anyone more church-centered, and yet more utterly unconcerned about the creed or, jack of, or lack of creed of those 
that she administers to. I explained to the suffering soldier boy that there was a healing energy in him that the doctors called nature, that this same healing life was in the world outside of him too, and that he could receive more of it by asking for it. Who, I'll ask, Sammy wondered. Ask God, because he is the one who made nature, and he is nature, and his, he is nature. But I don't know anything about God. You know there is something outside of yourself, don't you? After all, you didn't make this world. There's some kind of life outside of you. Oh, sure, when you're scared enough, you feel like there must be something. Well, then ask that something to come into you. Just say, whoever you are or whatever you are, come. Come into me now and help nature in my body to mend this body. This book shows how this boy and scores of others like him were healed through simple exposure to the climate of faith and love. If to this faith and love there is added the warmth, sunshine of enthusiasm, humor, and good cheer, there is nothing more to be asked. When you finish reading this book, you will agree with me that this is far more than a book of healing. It is a guide to redemptive, creative living. From Glenn, Glenn Clark, St. Paul, Minnesota, and he's giving the introduction to Agnes Sanford's book. All right, the first chapter is, I, God Works Through Us. No, first chapter is God Works Through Us. If we try turning on an electric iron and it does not work, we look to the wiring of the iron, the cord, or the house. We do not stand in dismay before the iron and cry, Oh, electricity, please come into my iron and make it work. We realize that while the whole world is full of that mysterious power we call electricity, only a amount that flows through the wiring of the iron will make the iron work for us. The same principle is true of the creative energy of God. The whole universe is full of it, but only the amount of it that flows through our own beings will work for us. We have tried often to make this creative power flow through us, saying, Oh God, please do this or that. And he has not done this or that. So we have concluded that there is no use in prayer because God is there is such a big because God, if there is such a being, will do as he likes regardless of our wishes. In other words, we doubt the willingness or the ability of God to actually produce within our lives and bodies the result that we desire. We do not doubt our own ability to come into his presence and fill ourselves with him, but his willingness to come into us and fill us with himself. My baby had been ill for six weeks with abscessed ears, I prayed desperately that God will heal the child. My mind was so filled with thoughts of fear and of bitterness, and these are not of God. God is love, and perfect love cast out fear. So God could not go through me to heal my baby, for there was a break in the pipe line that connected me with God. Nevertheless, His great kindness, He did what He could for me, he sent me one of his own ministers. The minister was a young man, ruddy-faced, cleared eye, full of normal, healthy interests in people and in life. I'll go upstairs and have a prayer with him, he said. I don't think that will do any good, I replied wearily. He's only a year and a half old. 
he wouldn't understand. What I really thought was, if God doesn't answer my prayers, why would he answer the minister's prayers? Oh, that won't matter, cried the minister, disregarding my feeble protests, and he went upstairs. Light shone in his eyes. I looked at him and saw his joyfulness, and I believed, for joy is the heavenly okay on the inner life of power. No dreadry, long-faced minister could have channeled God's healing to my baby. For without my faith, the baby could not have been healed. And it was the joy on the minister's face that called forth my faith. Looking at him, I knew that he had been with the one who come to give us joy. And so I knew that the baby would be well. The minister placed his hand upon the baby's ears and said, Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your life into these babies' ears and make them well. We thank you because we know that this is being done. Amen. <clears throat> the fever flush died out of the baby's face immediately. He turned very pale, closed his eyes, and slept. When he woke, he was well, and he never again had had abscess ears. This incident turned on the light for me in a world that had grown very dark with futility. It showed me that God is an active and powerful reality. True, I understood very little about him. I really thought that this visiting minister had the gift of healing. Now I know he had no gift except that which is open to all of us, the infinite gift of the life of God himself. God's water of life could rush through him, for the pipeline between his spirit and God's spirit was intact. He was in harmony with God. The life of God flowed through him and could therefore be turned on by him for the healing of a child. He knew it, and therefore had the courage to speak with authority. We thank you because we know that this is being done, he had said, adding the word, Amen, so be it. A word of command, all prayers end with Amen, but usually the word is meaningless. The people who utter it do not in the least intend to send forth a command so positive that they would dare to say, when he wakes, he will be all right. This is one reason why many prayers do not seem to answer. God is both within us and without us. He is the source of all life, the creator of universe behind universe, and of unimaginable depths of interstellar space and of light years without end. But he also is the indwelling life of our own little selves. And just as a whole world full of electricity will not light a house unless the house itself is prepared to receive that electricity, so the infinite and eternal life of God cannot help us unless we are prepared to receive that life within ourselves. Only the amount of God that we can get in us will work for us. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said, and it is the indwelling light, the, the secret place of the consciousness of the Most High, that is the kingdom of heaven in its present manifestation on the earth. Learning to live in the kingdom of heaven is learning to turn on the light of God within. We must learn that God is not an unreasonable and impulsive sovereign who breaks his own laws at will. As soon as we learn that God does things through us, not for us, the matter becomes as simple as breathing, as inedible as sunrise. But God is omnipotent, some people say. He can do anything he likes. Certainly, he has made the world that run by law, and he does not like to break those laws. 
Few of us in the north would ask God to produce a full-blown rose out of the doors in January, outdoors. Yet he can do this very thing if we adapt our great houses to his laws of heat and light so as to provide the necessary necessities of the rose and he can produce a full-blown answer to prayer if we adapt our earthly tabernacles to his laws of love and faith so as to provide the necessity of answered prayer. Someday the world will come to an understanding of this fact as it now understands the miracle of sound waves. For one generation, miracles are the commonplace of another generation. Some say we will understand the scientific principles that underline the miracle working power of God. And we will accept his intervention as simply as naturally as we do the radio. Dr. Alexis Carroll, physician and scientist, declared that he has been seeing a skin cancer disappear at the command of faith. But that was not a breaking of the laws of nature. It was a superimposition of a higher law of life over a lower law of life. Thus, it was the fulfillment of the law of nature. It was one Think, if one thinks of a miracle, not as the breaking of God's law, but as his own using of his laws, then the world is full of miracles. I have seen pneumonia destroyed within 15 minutes while the patient's temperature dropped from 103 to normal and perspiration poured from his body and drenched the streets. This was almost as great a miracle as the miracle of the frost weaving ever-changing patterns on the window pane. It was almost as great a miracle as the miracle of days and nights, of sunrise and sunset, caused by the never-ceasing swing of the earth and the sun and the moon in a pattern of motion, control, and adjusted by cosmic forces beyond the ken of the astronomer. God does nothing except by law, but he has provided enough power within his laws to do anything that is in accordance with his will. His will includes unlimited protection. It is for us to learn his will and to seek the simplicity and the beauty of the laws that set free his power. Amen. He will to seek the simplicity and the beauty of the laws that set free his power amen and that ends to chapter two of the book the healing light by agnes sanford thank you very much for coming in father in heaven we thank you lord god for september 12th we thank you lord god that you will anoint our ears as we read the word of isaiah lord thank you for your conquering spirit thank you for the triumph and victory in christ jesus Thank you, Lord, that you have rewarded us with goodness and mercy and kindness. Thank you, Lord God, that we're made in your image to do your work and to have fun. Thank you, Father, for this time, and we give you the praise, thanksgiving, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and start reading. You want me to read? Yeah, I did yesterday this one. Did you start with Jeff? Start I'll be right back. Okay. Um, Isaiah, September 12th, Isaiah 10, verses 1 to 11, 16. 
chapter 10, verse 1 to 11:16. What sorrow awaits the unjust judges and those who issue unfair laws? They deprive the poor of justice and deny the rights of the needy among my people. They prey on widows and take advantage of orphans. What will you do when I punish you, when I send disaster upon you from a distant land? To whom will you turn for help? Where will your treasures be safe? You will stumble along as prisoners or lie among the dead. But even then the Lord's anger will not be satisfied. His fist is still poised to strike. What sorrow awaits Assyria, the rod of my anger. I use it as a club to express my anger. I'm sending Assyria, the rod of my anger. I use it as a club to express my anger. I'm sending Assyria against a godless nation, against a people with whom I'm angry. Assyria will plunder them, trampling them like dirt beneath its feet, but the king of Assyria will not understand that he is my tool. His mind does not work that way. His plan is simply to destroy, to cut nation after nation. He will say, each of my princes will soon be a king. We destroyed Kalno just as we did Karkemesh. Hamath fell before us as Arpad did, and we destroyed Samaria just as we did Damascus. Yes, we have finished off many a kingdom whose gods were greater than those in Jerusalem and Samaria. So we will defeat Jerusalem and her gods, just as we destroyed Samaria with hers. After the Lord has used the king of Assyria to accomplish his purposes on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, he will turn against the king of Assyria and punish him, for he is proud and arrogant. He boasts, but my own powerful arm I have done this, with my own shrewd wisdom I planned it. I have broken down the defenses of nations and carried off their treasures. I have knocked down their kings like a bull. I have robbed their nests of riches and gathered up kingdom as a farmer gathers egg. No one can even flap a wing against me or utter peep or of a peep of protest. But can the axe boast greater power than the person who uses it? In the saw greater is the saw greater than the person who saws? Can a rod strike unless a hand moves it? Can a wooden king walk by itself? Therefore the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, will send a plague among Assyria's proud troops, and a flaming fire will consume its glory. The Lord, the light of Israel, will be a fire. The Holy One will be a flame. He will devour the thorns and briars with fire, burning up the enemy in a single night. The Lord will consume Assyria's glory like a fire consumes a forest in a fruitful land. It will waste away like sick people in a plague. Of all that glorious forest, only a few trees will survive, so few that a child could count them. In that day, the remnant left in Israel, the survivors in the house of Jacob, will no longer depend on allies who seek to destroy them. But they will faithfully trust the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. Yes, the remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. But though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant of them will return. The Lord has rightly decided to destroy his people. Yes, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, has already decided to destroy the entire land. 
So this is what the Lord, the Lord of Heaven's army says, O my people in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians when they oppress you with rod and clubs as the Egyptians did long ago. In a little while my anger against you will end, and then my anger will rise up to destroy them. The Lord of Heaven's armies will lash them with his whip, as he did with Gideon, as he did when Gideon triumphed over the Midianites at the rock of Oreb. Or when the Lord's staff was raised to drown the Egyptian army in the sea. Wow. In that day the Lord will end the bondage of his people. He will break the yoke of slavery and lift it from their shoulders. Look, the Assyrians are now at, at uh, Ayath. They are passing through Migran. And are storing their equipment at Michmash. They are crossing the path and are camping at Giba. Fear strikes the town of Ramah. Ramah. All the people of Gibeah, the hometown of Saul, are running for their lives, scream in terror. You people of uh, Galam, shout a warning to Lasha, O poor Anathoth. There go the people of Madmenah, all fleeing. The citizens of Gibeah are trying to hide. The enemy stops at Nob for the rest of, rest of that day. He shakes his fist at beautiful Mount Zion, the mountain of Jerusalem. But look, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, will chop down the mighty tree of Assyria with great power. He will cut down the proud. The lofty trees will be brought down. He will cut down the forest trees with an axe. Lebanon will fall to the mighty one. Uh, <clears throat> out of the stump of David's family <clears throat> will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his sword, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a veil, belt, belt, uh -huh. and truth like an undergarment. Amen. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together, and the leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe from with the lion, and the little child will lead them all. The cow will grace near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be bannered of will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally on him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria and northern Egypt. In southern Egypt, Ethiopia, and Elam, and Babylonia, Hamath, 
and all of the distant coastlands. He will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Then at last, the jealous between, jealousy between Israel and Judah will end. They will not be rivals anymore. They will join forces to swoop down on Philistia to the west. Together they will attack and plunder the nations to the east. They will occupy the lands of Edom and Moab, and Ammon will obey them. The Lord will make a dry path through the gulf of the Red Sea. He will wave his hand over the Euphrates River, sending a mighty wind to divide it into seven streams, so it can easily be crossed on foot. He will make a highway for the remnant of his people, the remnant coming from Assyria, just as he did for Israel long ago when they returned from Egypt. Amen. Amen. It's interesting to see on um, 11.1, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from an old root. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us insight in what we're talking about. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you created us in your image for your glory and your honor. Uh, amen. I understand, according to this, it means that what you read was a lot of destruction of uh, of Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, a stump means that you know they were mown. Another nation came in and burned mm-hmm. the whole place up. So there was a stump left out of the stump of David's family would grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit, the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's when the um, Romans was over Israel. And then Jesus came along. Amen. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and in the fear of the Lord. So how many is that? Uh, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Six of them. Yep. So that's that's our inheritance. And he will delight in, in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and out of one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. So out of the breath one breath he would say, Get out in Jesus' name. Be healed. He will wear righteousness like a belt, the truth like an undergarment. And and then, I don't know what's going on in the spirit after that, when he talks about that the wolf and the lamb will live together. And, you know, that didn't happen then, you know, and it still hasn't happened today. It sounds like this is going to be in the end times when he comes back. But the first part on Mm 11.1. There's a little uh, saying, The Messiah fulfilled God's promise on today's study that a descendant of David would rule forever. Someday this Messiah will rule over all things with justice and righteousness forever. Mm -hmm. How we long for that day. We all desire to be treated fairly by others. But do we treat others fairly? We have those who base their judgments on appearances false evidence or hearsay but are we using the, those same standards 
Only Christ, the Messiah, can be perfectly fair judge. Only as his spiritual reign is made real in our hearts can we begin to treat others as we expect others to treat us. It will not be perfect or complete until Christ comes, but through Christ and his power in our lives, we can begin to live justly with others today. Amen. But it, it sounds to me that when the Lord comes back and he starts to reign on his mountain, that these things are going to be, you know, you'll have the wolf and the lamb living together. You know, there won't be any kind of devouring, right? The way animals, predate, you know, they prey on other animals. Mm-hmm. And a little child will lead them. Um, I thought it already the happened at the, the beginning, cap, you know, the uh-huh. stump of David. But then, because when you read down here, it says, In that day the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. And that's what happened. That's yeah. where we are today. But then it says, The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Okay, well, the earth is not a glorious place right now. It's when we we all come back, I think, to reign, I want to say the millennium. Because then it says here, In that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. Mm-hmm. And it says, to bring back the remnant of his people, all the people that, that didn't, weren't saved in the first, right? Those who remain in Assyria and north, northern Egypt, and then they mentioned a couple of other places, uh, Ethiopia, Babylonia, Hamath, and all those. And, and I really like, I thought that was really interesting at the end of the teaching here, that said, he will wave his hand over the Euphrates River, Okay, sending a mighty wind to divide it into seven streams so it can easily be crossed on foot. He will make a highway for the remnant of his people, the remnant coming from Assyria, just as he did for Israel long ago, you know, when they parted the Red Sea. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let me go ahead and keep on reading. Second okay. Corinthians 12, 11 and 21. Amen, it is, because um, it seems like the mercies of God, they, you know, we're like ants to him. He goes, let me, this powerful river divided into three so they can walk. Yeah, he's going to deliver his people, Israel, he's saving them. So it's a way for them to come back to, uh, have a pathway to come back to Israel. Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians 12, 11, 21. You Corinthians have made me, Paul, act like a fool, boasting like this. You ought to be writing commandments for me, for I am not all commendations. Commendations for me, for I am not all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing at all. When I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle, for I patiently did many signs and wonders (laughs) and miracles among you. The only thing I failed to do, which I do in the other churches, was to become a financial burden to you. Please forgive me for this wrong. Now I am coming to you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you. I don't want what you have. I want you. After all, children don't provide for their parents. Rather, parents provide for their children. I will be glad. I will gladly spend myself in all I have for you, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Mm. 
Some of you admit I was not a burden to you, but others still think I was sneaky and took advantage of your trickery. But how did any of the men I sent to you take advantage of you? When I urged Titus to visit you and sent our other brothers with him, did Titus take advantage of you? No, for we have the same spirit and walk in each other's steps, doing things the same way. Perhaps you think we're saying these things just to defend, defend ourselves. No, we tell you this as Christ's servants. And with God as our witness, everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. For I am afraid that when I, can, I come, I won't like what I find. And you won't like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence, and I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, sexual morality, or eagerness for lustful pleasures. Amen. What do you think about that? Wow, that's interesting. He's just very honest with the people. You know, I like what mm. he says. He says, look... I prove that I'm an apostle because I did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. Um, Again, I like the way where he says uh, that I, Paul, he says, for I am not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing at all. Right. You know, he was very humble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he paid his own way. He didn't let them pay, you know. And again, mm-hmm. you know, and he says, I was really wrong for doing this. Right, right. You know, because uh, you guys wanted to pay my way. Mm-hmm. Now, and I could do a third time, and I will not be a burden to you. I don't want what you have. I want, after all, the children don't provide. I like what he says, I will get, gladly spend myself, and I have for you, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Mm-hmm. So it seems like he his love was growing for them and wanted them to have, you know, the salvation and they would walk in the grace of God. But the more he loved them, the less they loved him. So it's kind of, isn't that kind of like the Lord? The more he wants, the more he, he loves us, sometimes we get, you know, the less we love him back. Just spending time with them. You know, for me, it's like, hey, Lord, good morning. You know, you do really that really well. You greet them in the morning and just start to talk to them in the morning when you wake up but um I like what he said here you know when he's talking about you know taking advantage of them um when you know he sent Titus and he said I don't know I think he sent Timothy at one point I don't know if it's in here but I know he was sending you know others evangelists their way um, and it says they had the same spirit and they walked in each other's steps doing the same things the same way. There wasn't any kind of this kind of doctrine over here, this kind of doctrine there. Everything was exactly or consistent in how they were preaching the gospel. Amen. Very good. Good observance. Mm-hmm. And everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you, okay? That's very good. They're there to help straight, strengthen the brethren. 
It says here, Paul's passionate commitment to Christ puts most of us to shame, but his example should compel us to look for the Jesus that Paul knew. What Did Paul see in Christ that motivated him so deeply? Do you believe that Christ is as enthralling as Paul believed he is? Amen. Amen. And it's obvious that the Corinthians were having struggles with these sins here. The gossip, the arrogance, the disorderly behavior, selfishness, jealousy, anger, quarreling. Oh, man. They hadn't repented of their sexual morality. Oh, boy. And that's in the church. That's in the church. The AA can get like that, you know. We got, Mm -hmm. you know, and... That's why the leaders, the guys who've been there long on, they love you, and they don't they don't talk about people. They just move forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, Psalm 56, 1 through 13. We pray for those being attacked because they are Christians. We pray to that they would be vindicated so that all may see God's greatness. Lord, we thank you for all our brothers that are being attacked, Lord, all around the world, Lord. The Chinese, the Asians, Lord the South Koreans, and we pray for the North Koreans that you may bless them, bless our hearts, Lord God. Thank you for giving them love. Psalm, and we pray for all the Christians all around the world, Lord. Psalm 56, 1 through 13. Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are bodily attacking me. Boldly. Boldly attacking, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Again, when I am weak, I will put my trust in you. I praise you for what He has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? They are always twisting what I say and spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me. Watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, O God, bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in the light in the life-giving light. Amen. Proverbs 23, verses 6 to 8. Don't eat with people who are stingy. Don't desire their delicacies. They are always thinking about how much it costs. Eat and drink, they say, but they don't mean it. You will throw up what little you've eaten, and your compliments will be washed. Amen. Amen.